The College Game Day podcast is presented by Old Dominion Freight Line, helping the world keep promises. We got a real simple plan. One me and one mission. Georgia has won the national championship. You're a fan, you might think this is sports heaven. This might be college football heaven. This is ESPN's College Game Day podcast. Now alongside Pete Thamel, is Reese Davis. The new college football playoff rankings are out. Is the committee undervaluing teams in the Pac-12? One in particular, why Tennessee should be very happy with its position despite falling out of the top four. And looking ahead to Saturday and the return of the great Pete Thamel. This is the College Game Day podcast for Wednesday, November 9th. And first of all, Pete, for those of us joining us on YouTube, uh, they can see that you're still in the winter hat, which we will discuss shortly. But first of all, uh, how are the pipes? How are the sinuses? How are you feeling? So I'm, uh, I am, I am back. Um, you know, I would probably be a, a game time decision on the injury report right now, but I'm, uh, I'm good. Some sort of uh, poltergeist got in my sinuses, uh, and you know, just. Travel ten straight weeks. No one's complaining here because we love what we do. But just kind of, just kind of drag me down. And uh, but I'm back, and we're 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 fighting hard. And uh, yeah, I just did feel the the comfort of a nice warm knit hat though this morning. If that's uh, if that's if that's okay, I'm just lucky, Reese, that I got invited back because I listened to the podcast yesterday with just you, and you actually didn't breathe the entire time. So <laughs> it was it was pretty impressive. I mean, it was it was an hour it was an hour straight of uh, of of Reese talking without a breath, and it was all like perfectly woven together themes, topics, different things. I was like, "Geez," I was like, "I, I just I feel like I, I'm in the way of uh, you know of, of Reese from the pulpit." So, um, no, I appreciate you picking up the slack for me while I was uh, while I was out sick, partner. And uh, it was a good it was a good listen. Uh, I enjoyed it last night, and uh, whoever your sixth grade social studies teacher is really must have enjoyed the open to the college football playoff show last night. Cause you <laughs> used every political, uh, every political <laughs> jargon phrase. Like I'm surprised you didn't get tippy canoe and Tyler two in there because, uh, you know, you, you pretty much, you pretty much hit them all, uh, with the, with the, obviously the, uh, election night theme running. I wondered exactly who would pick that up. And in terms of not taking a breath, you know, um, I had someone say to me once that, they realized that I had been endowed with the gift of gab. And I said to them that I flatter myself that such is the case. And my line of work is plumb necessary because the one thing you do not want is air in the conversation. One dollar to the great John Goodman as Big Dan Teague for that line from Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? So there you go. So uh, I did have fun with that open last night. Uh, my daughter has has a friend whose brother is in the world of um, of covering politics, and he saw it, and he said, "Your dad must have been laughing when he read that script." And my daughter said, "Well, you he wrote that script. He, you know, he didn't. That's not the way it works at ESPN." So I, I did. I did a little digging. I had had the idea uh, to do it. I mean, look, Digger Phelps used to do it a lot on election night. Uh, so, you know, the great, the great silver Fox who used to fancy himself as a future political candidate and had even had his slogan ready for running for president and the nation needs a coach. Um, but never, never quite made the leap over there, uh, probably was, was happy with, with that open too. One more thing before we get to the rankings, you, you did a preemptive strike talking about your knit hat. Okay. First of all, what did you call? You grew up in Boston, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, you call it a knit hat. Now, did you always call it a knit hat? What is the word that you used for your uh, headpiece there? So I would just call it a winter hat, but you a could call hat. it a stocking cap. You could call it a beanie. Um, I do favor the beanie sometimes on the on the game day. Uh, mm-hmm. my, when I when I started on 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 game day, my first assignment was the, uh, was the draft show. And I showed up with a beanie a couple of times and it really threw people off, but I really just have bad hair. Um, not all of us were born with pocket squares in our pajamas and beautiful hair. So, um, because of that, you know, sometimes, you know, I dropped Teddy off at daycare this morning. I just needed something to cover my mane. 
Yeah. My ears from the winter chill in Boston. So hey, you've got you've got good hair, and our makeup artist Trish has has uh, has put some stuff together there for She's you. She's earned so, a raise this year. I'll tell you that. <laughs> do, do you know what? I and I don't know why. I wish I knew the etymology of this. In uh, in North Alabama, when it would occasionally get cold enough to need to put something on our heads, you know what we called that hat that you're wearing? No, what a, a boggin. Oh, I've never heard that. Yeah, like a, like a boggin or a toboggan, toboggan, which I know is is more like you know a sled. But for whatever reason, uh, and I don't know if that's still the the jargon there. But when I was growing up, we called it a boggin. B o g i n. No, like b o. I don't know really. I think b o g g a n, but I I don't know. Maybe b, I would think b o g g a n, but I don't know. I just asked the Google machine, and it says shop boggin and winter hat. Um, a beanie bog and winter hat in the Marvel comics. Hmm. Um, eight bun boggin ideas on Pinterest. Uh, toboggan and boggin boggin. Mm. Yeah, we'll have to uh, we'll have to let some fashionistas. I'll actually ask Kate. She uh, she used to buy coats um, mm-hmm. in her job, so maybe there's some maybe there's some some crossover. Her her company is nationwide, so they they probably have to know all the uh, all the nuances of what things are called in different uh, different places. So we'll we'll get back. But the winter hat is only going to show up more during the winter. I can I can assure you for that. Well. So. And I think as we look ahead to where college game day might wind up, it's going to be a, l- a little chilly in Austin, yes. I think, Saturday night. Uh, w- one would assume that we will be in Columbus where it will be frigid and gray uh, when they when they play Michigan. And then in Big between. Ten weather. Yeah. It remains to be seen where we wind up. Rankings came out last night. New <clears> number one, uh, Georgia at the top, as, as they should be, mm-hmm. uh, after that impressive uh, beatdown of Tennessee. I still had Tennessee hanging in at four, but I had no problem with TCU being ranked four and ranked ahead mm-hmm. of them. Anything jump out at you about the rankings from last night? Yeah, I, th- I think uh, the first thing was that uh, good on the committee for just having some flexibility, right? And seeing TCU get a big win and, and, and kind of putting them in that four spot. And I think a little bit acknowledging that they might have had them too low. Mm-hmm. In the uh, in the first place, and what I what I do like about this, and generally believe about the college football playoff and its committee, is that it is a week to week ranking, and they mm-hmm. do rearrange it based on you know they just they 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 yahtzee it every week and and, and come back with uh, with with a new one. So I, I just don't like being like clinging to old principles. Um, yeah, I I think this could be the best CFP race race we've had since that initial year that TCU and Baylor got snubbed and Cardale, you could use Cardale as a verb there. Ohio state Cardale their way in um, with the, with the blowout of Wisconsin in the, uh, in the college football playoff, which by the way, I picked Wisconsin in that game, which uh, I think our faithful listeners would know uh, that would go in line with my picks this year. Um, but I, I do think that's been the most controversial one we've had, and mm-hmm. it's because there were just different, you know, there were there were a handful of different schools that could make an argument for that uh, for that four spot. And um, I think you forecasted on the show, like we 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 are going to face our first, likely face our first repeat. Like the the committee is going to have to face whether or not they want a rematch. Mm-hmm. And you know, there, there seems pretty good odds statistically if Georgia holds that one, that someone in that four spot they could end up playing twice. So, yeah. and and you brought up the, the the two Big Ten team point, which obviously becomes very real. And I do think a discussion is going to be echoed throughout the couple of weeks of Michigan canceling that UCLA game, and mm-hmm. you know the intent of schedule. Like, can you, can you reward them and punish Oregon? I, I think somebody made the point last night on the show of like, Oregon could have played Portland state and they'd be sitting in a much different position right now. So I, I think there's, there's almost all these, uh, I, I'm really excited to see how the race unfolds because there are all these, uh, all these hot topics that we've kind of seen over the years, all sort of barreling down at once. And, and a lot of them are, are, are new and, and fresh and, I like that there's uh you know when you go uh when you go four, five, six, you've got three teams that uh well Oregon did make it uh in the first year and they made the title game, obviously. But you've got basically teams that haven't, you know, new blood that hasn't been there in uh, in the last what, eight years. So that's that's exciting to me. And again, we we don't have biases. We're uh, you know, we're fans of the sport, and I think we're fans of the sport from, you know, 
Boston to San Diego and Miami to Seattle. And we, we like to see it stretched out and, uh, you know, every region kind of be recognized. So I, I think it's a, I think it's one of the more exciting races that we've had. It's hard to discuss the rankings without someone nitpicking, you know, especially on social media or whatever, something, you know, that has been said or, you know, saying that you hate this team, hate that team for this reason or that reason. Um, there are a couple of takeaways that I had from looking at the rankings and all of this, we should offer the disclaimer at the beginning. If everybody starts losing inexplicable games then you, then you throw it all up and you start over. But if things sort of hold form without a ridiculous number of upsets, I feel like Tennessee has LSU blocked out uh, b- because, because of the way they won that game, winning it by 27 points. Because even even if LSU beats Georgia in the SEC championship game, I'll certainly you'd listen to arguments for LSU and understand that one of the losses was by one point on the on the opening night and all of that. But you can't, or I I couldn't. I should say it this way: if I were in that committee room, there is no way I could rank LSU ahead of Tennessee based on what they did. Now, head to head's not the be all end all especially if it's a close tight game and a lot of time has passed. But when when the victory is that emphatic and it's on your home field, which by the way that's another little check mark in Tennessee's favor when they start uh being evaluated for a spot likely the fourth spot, maybe the third one, is that start going down the list of contenders and find me a great road win. That's about it. Ohio State has a good one. A, a good road win at, at Penn State. I wouldn't say that it's a great one. And maybe one could argue that, you know, the difference in a two-point conversion uh, against Alabama is what makes LSU, the win over LSU, a great one as opposed to a good one. And that's a, that's a fair argument as well. Hard to find a great road win. Tennessee has one. And I still, while I'm starting to see the avenue for what you've dubbed the Reese Davis principle of getting blown out, you can't make it into a four-team field. I see the avenue for Oregon, but were I in that committee room, that would still be a major problem for me to get past. Uh, it would be a difference maker. You know, Kirk brings up, and rightfully so, a lot of times about when teams are in a cluster, that they are very similar in a lot of aspects that you start to find differentiating factors, whether it be conference championships head-to-head. If a team is unequivocally better than another one, then those factors tend not to come into play. I think they're really going to come into play this year because a lot of these teams are really clustered, and that, in my judgment and evaluation of these teams, is a really big deal. And I irked some Tennessee fans last night, but I believe this to be true from watching both games. The score didn't get out of hand the way the Georgia-Oregon game did. But that game was every bit the beatdown in terms of after the first or second series, there was no doubt in my mind who was going to win the game. And, you know, I I don't mean that as a slight to Tennessee. I think they're a worthy playoff team. And would it be different on a neutral field? Maybe. You know, that that was the most – I've been to Sanford Stadium a number of times over the years, never been like that. Never been that intimidating. Yeah. And so – you know, those are things I think that are going to, just as you said, rightly, it's going to make this playoff race maybe different from any of the other ones we've seen. Maybe it's most similar to 2014. Yeah. So I do feel like uh, I, I need to address, I've gotten quite a few angry emails and uh, uh, Twitter messages from Georgia fans about the anonymous coach survey, um, <laughs> where one coach did say that he thought there was, you know, a few coaches thought Tennessee had a path to victory and one thought they could score 50. Mm-hmm. Um, that coach was obviously wrong. Um and, you know, people felt like I needed to, like, get up in front of the uh, get get up in, in front of the dunk tank to do that. No, but I do think Please, yeah. I do think it's interesting. Right. Because I've done these stories a lot over the years. And, you know, you you do write sort of the, the, the things that people say that are different and, you know, mm-hmm. observations that are different. And, you know, so why why did Tennessee not score 50? Well, I saw three pre snap penalties and I have to admit I left at halftime because. I just thought Tennessee had no chance to win. And they so didn't. I wanted, to get, I wanted yeah. to get to the airport. And so it, it, there was probably more than three. So Tennessee's operation was poor on the road. Like they were not ready for the moment in a lot of ways. You, you know, Reese, you spoke about this on the podcast on Monday. Uh, Jalen Carter 
was in full force, a just a monster, an unstoppable, maybe the best player in college football, like some scouts had said. And I can't say with, with any authority, he was good in the Florida game, but he had not been that kind of player this year. Now, he obviously missed some games with injury. They'd been careful with him. Um, so when, when some of these coaches evaluated Georgia, it was with either a limited or a missing version of Jalen Carter. He's obviously the, uh, you know, massive defensive tackle who NFL scouts really like because he's so dynamic for his size um, that he has elite pass rush ability, which you just don't see on the interior of the defensive line. And in Reese, you and I stood there on the sideline and watched him swallow Tennessee linemen whole. I mean, there's no other way to say it. He swallowed them whole, especially on the play that should have been a safety. And I still don't understand why it wasn't. Um, I mean, he just absolutely, it was like Pac-Man just going mm-hmm. through on that. So that caliber player playing at that level makes them a lot different. And I think people misjudged both Georgia's depth, which really came into play, I thought. Um, the depth of talent, being able to rotate different guys in, stay fresh, and stay consistent in their scheme and not have a significant drop-off. And look, the corners played elite. Like, there's no other way to say it. The, the, the awesome. weakness people kept pointing to in Georgia – was were were the different corners, be it Lasseter, be it Bullard, and those guys did not get picked on. They did not get exposed. They did not get exploited, and they did not get run behind. And I just thought, like we watched, we watched Georgia's guys run free behind the Tennessee secondary. I mean, just mm-hmm. run free, and that's what we've seen Tennessee do all year, including to Alabama, which was jarring to see in person. And that just didn't happen. So credit to Kirby Smart, credit to a great plan, and credit to a Georgia secondary that 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 answered the bell. And talking about Jalen Carter seems like a great time to bring up Best in Game, brought to you by Old Dominion Freightline, helping the world keep promises. As we turn the page and look ahead to this week, Georgia has shown that when interested, that they're they're dynamic and and brutal to deal with. Do you anticipate Georgia being as interested in Starkville Saturday night? Now, there's no reason in the world to expect that Mississippi State is going to be able to do much more than it did against Alabama. Uh, you know, I know there are differences structurally in the defense, and Kirby Smart's changed some things, but they both have a pretty good handle on how to slow down that offense, and State's not at that level. But we've seen Georgia be disinterested a couple of times this year, and they were so, so locked in Saturday afternoon for the Tennessee game that one wonders if maybe – uh, they could they could get caught hitting the snooze button at least for a little while and make that game a little more interesting than it has any right to be. Yeah, it's funny because Leach's teams are always this way and Mississippi State's this way. Like that Auburn game, to me, was the perfect encapsulation of a Leach team. They go storm out to, I believe, a 24-7 lead at, at halftime. And then the other team comes and storms back. Like the offense is scorching hot, and then it goes ice cold. And so it's always tricky to you know to to project who shows up but look it's another test for that secondary if that secondary isn't dialed in they can they can they can start moving the ball a little bit on you um it's another test for that defensive line which clearly got elite push can they can they do that again against a Mississippi State offensive line that's you know that's been fairly competent this season i don't think it's an, it's dominant by any means um, I don't think they'll get caught napping because I do think sometimes when a team plays that way, it starts to realize and sense its potential and can keep going. And we may see that with Georgia. But what I do like, Reese, about just as we cast over the the, the rest of the season, um, a Georgia-Ohio State matchup would excite me. I think a mm-hmm. Georgia-Michigan matchup would be closer than it was last year in the playoff. I don't think anybody's anybody's giddy about seeing that game again, potentially in the same stadium, right? Would it be in the same stadium? Uh, it's uh, it's Fiesta and Peach this Peach. year. Okay, so it'd be it'd be a different stadium. It would, yeah, it would be Oregon would be the same stadium. That's what I'm. That's what yeah. I'm, I'm. I'm messing up in my mind. Uh, but I do think Michigan is better equipped with more dynamism at quarterback, and Georgia's defense still is not the historically good 
you know, 15 players overall drafted. I'm going to have eight starters drafted on the defense mm-hmm. last year. It's just not quite there. So I think Michigan's a little better. I think, you know, Georgia's has a slight dip and I think that game is, uh, is, is a little bit, is a little bit closer. So I, I do think there's some, you know, there's some very intriguing drama left, uh, you know, as we, uh, as you roll out the rest of the field here. I think now that the calendar has turned to November, that we are less likely to see a disinterested Georgia as well. And it could well be that it wouldn't take very long before the Mississippi state players are uh, wishing perhaps that they could find a shade tree and a fish sandwich and some lemonade and sit around with their significant others. That was another all-time leech rant in the, the post-game, too, which <laughs> hey, he's a gift that keeps on giving, whether it annoys you or doesn't. I mean, it's you know, it's so hilarious and bizarre. And he even said he was working on trademarking his cough. How about uh, him wanting to clear out the athletic department when John Cohen left? Did you see those? <laughs> I did not. What, what? He was like, he said something about Cohen. He's like, yeah, they could use to clean out a few other people out of there, too. <laughs> 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 oh, never oh man. Leech. I'll tell never you changed. what. He's, he, no, never, never, ever changed. Let's talk a little bit about, about TCU in Texas. Sure. And. Let me clarify something I sort of said offhandedly because I wanted the message out there. I said that the reason game day is going to Austin, uh, certainly we love Austin, but it's to follow the TCU story. And that's true. But the reason we're following the TCU story to Austin is because they're in danger in Austin of being knocked from the ranks of the unbeaten. And the other interesting aspect of it is that Big 12 race is so competitive and there and because of what's in front of both teams, there's a really good possibility that no matter how the game turns out, that we could see it again in the Big 12 championship game. Because even if Texas loses, um, I think I, they still play Baylor. They they only lose the head-to-head tiebreaker anyway to Oklahoma State. And the way Oklahoma State looks right now, well, I don't think they're done losing. It certainly doesn't look that way at the moment. They've fallen off a cliff. Yeah, they really have. So the reason we're going there is to follow the TCU story, but it's because the TCU story is going to be challenged, challenged to such a degree that the early line at least has Texas as a touchdown favorite over the undefeated number four team in the country. So, I mean, that's somebody that's knows a something story as line. our friend coach Corso would say. So do you think the people who know something are, are correct? I mean, it would not surprise me at all if if, if TCU lost. Just no, I think either. it is. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's obvious with the, with the spread where it is. Um, it it's hard to to say with any conviction um, that that Texas is just going to roll over because they have the best tailback in the country. They have one of the ten best receivers in the country, and they have a, a, a you know a quarterback whose talent is as as you know top five in the country. So. When you when you have those things now, look, they have issues. They have issues at right tackle. They have issues on the offensive line. Um, their defense has been temperamental uh, at best. They have fourth quarteritis um, and and have had it for 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 multiple years. But I do think, boy, like if they stay disciplined in running Bijan Robinson, they could probably you know they could roll and win this game. You know they could mm-hmm. roll and win this game. I I don't think Texas is is capable of dominating TCU. I don't um, either. Yeah. But if they, you know, if they won 35-28, I would, you know, no. that would that would not be a that would not be a stunning result to me. But that was one of those lines that put a smile on my face because I was like, I can totally see that. If you had asked me, you know, Sunday night what I thought the line would be on that game, I probably would have said Texas favored by a field goal. Mm-hmm. So I'll be curious on our Friday pod, Reese, what Bill Connolly's numbers say. Now that remember, the numbers love Texas. Yeah, like the numbers are as infatuated with Texas as preseason voters are with Texas, right? <laughs> so, um, Bill is Bill has joked a few times with us that uh, he's almost had to like offer apologies for uh, for for how much the, the numbers do, uh, do do like uh, you know do like the Longhorns. So it's a uh, you know it's it's an interesting moment in time for 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 both programs because for how much. Texas has squandered this year, um, you know, there's still quite a bit in front of them. And, 
they could go and, and and do what hasn't been done there in quite a long time and, and win the Big 12. Was their last Big 12 title Colt McCoy, or did they win one after that? Uh, no, they lost in the Big 12 championship game, I know, with uh, with Ellinger after they, I think, they beat beaten Oklahoma yes. in the regular season. They had the rematch, and they lost. So I should know that off the top of my head, Pete. I think it is, unless I'm skipping one, but I can't think of one I'm just think happy that I stumped then. you. That's pretty, yeah. I've learned that's pretty hard to do. Big 12 champions by years, according to Wikipedia, my favorite fake news source. Um, 2009, Texas. Um, so since Texas has last won the Big 12, Oklahoma's won it. Oklahoma State has won it. Uh, Baylor has won it. Um, has TCU won it? Uh, TCU and uh, Baylor split it. So TCU yeah. did win it yeah. in 14. Um, so that's a lot of schools not hooking them um, who have won the uh, who've won the Big 12 in that time. And for, for Sark, who's trying to establish a foothold for the SEC, too, because you always remember the big pictures in mind, not having Oklahoma as a foil. When you look at Oklahoma, which um, they won the Big 12 like every year. That, I mean, yes, they, they, they won they, it yeah. 15 to 20. Yeah. So until uh, until Aranda upset the apple cart last year. So and Bob Stoops, like Mac Brown won like almost hilariously few Big 12 titles. When you go back and look at the uh, when you go back not and look funny at to the, him, I'll bet. But. Nope, not not funny to not funny <laughs> to him at all. But like it just considering how great his run was there. Yeah, he you know, he was a, a distinct second fiddle to, uh, to to Bob Stoops. So um, anyway, it's. Uh, but thank God they figured out that I was a Texas thing and made Sark apologize, right? You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Texas is dangerously close to being in this mix, and I looked up. Oh yeah, because it's because it's a it's a quick little click as opposed to looking at Bill's SP plus. I took a quick peek at FPI to see the difference, and there's about a uh, Texas is number six in the FPI. But if you look at the actual number, there's about a six point uh, edge that FPI gives Texas over the average top 25 team as opposed to what it would give TCU, which that combined with home field probably accounts because all of those power rating systems, I don't understand the algorithms and the formulas the way Bill does or you know the people who, who formulate them. The great Dean Oliver, uh, who was with us at ESPN, is now in the NBA. When they formulate all of those, but they've they've schooled me up and taught me about how to look at it to determine that. So that's probably where you get the touchdown touchdown difference. And there are flaws in any formula, but Texas easily could have won the Alabama game. They blew the double digit leads. Uh, you know, they could be sitting there you know, eight, eight and one or nine and oh. And so certainly they're they're very capable. But once again, pivotal game for them to determine what kind of season they have. Now I mentioned they could still make it if things fall right for them to the big 12 championship game, but it's still a four loss, still a four loss season if they lose Saturday night. So, um, I mean, you would, you'd be able to rub some salve on that wound if you ended up getting a rematch and winning the big 12 championship, but it would still be a four loss season, which is not what you're after at Texas. So pretty pivotal game for them. And I also think, and you know, I asked Sonny this question last night, and it's one that will be asked of Boo Corrigan going forward. Should TCU stumble either Saturday night or at Baylor in the Big 12 championship game? I think the the Big 12, and I'll never give him that off-ramp again, by the way, by failing to mention, I will say that your schedule, if you play in in the Big 12 with nine conference games, has been formidable enough that a single loss shouldn't eliminate you from consideration. Now, should it mean you automatically go if you win the Big 12? No, but I don't think that TCU should be evaluated solely because they have the zero in the loss column. If they lose by a field goal Saturday night, come back, beat Baylor, beat Texas in a rematch, they're they're very worthy of being considered of getting in the playoff. It shouldn't. This is not a a weak schedule that they played that would that would demand that they go undefeated, like say Cincinnati uh, was last year. Yeah. Let me ask you this, Reese. Uh, and I started making some calls on this yesterday. I'll have more on this on game day on Saturday. The TCU Oregon comp is interesting, right? To me. Um, fairly similar teams in some ways. Uh, there's some flaws. There's some things to like. There's some knocks. Oregon, obviously, their resumes aren't similar in that Oregon obviously has that horrific early loss, but has really recovered and played well. 
um, TCU's, you know, fighting some stigmas over their style. If, if Oregon and TCU played on a neutral field in Greenwood, Indiana tomorrow, who would you favor? Pretty good question, right? I think, yeah, I think, um, in all honesty, Pete, I would probably give a slight edge to Oregon. I think their defense is a little, is a little bit better. I mean, that, I mean, but that, that's basically, even I'm looking at the FPI numbers, that's like, uh, that's like a, a two point. Difference. That's a toss-up. I'd probably lean Oregon slightly on a yeah. slightly better defense, and you know I'm not totally convinced of that, but that'd be where I'd lean right now. How about you? Yeah, I would probably say Ducks by a field goal, um, but I do think like it, you know if those teams played ten times, you know one would win six and one would win four or something like yeah. that. Like it's, I think those teams are are fairly equal in some ways. I think you know both have pretty good offensive lines. Um, and, uh, you know, TCU has much better offensive skill on the outside. You know, Oregon's got a little more pop maybe on their defensive ends. Uh, you know, different quarterbacks, right? Um, mm-hmm. One is really evolved and both have really evolved and played well, right? I mean, mm-hmm. Max Duggan didn't start this year. You forget against Colorado and then came in the second half and they just, you know, absolutely just started this blitzkrieg of a season from uh, from that point on. So, yeah, I think two uh, two really uh, two really interesting teams. Um, one stat that I that I found interesting is that I think Oregon has only given up like one sack this year. Um, it's something it's something pretty remarkable. You know they they've had yeah they've literally given up one one sack this year. So I think that just speaks to the soundness of the operation, right? If you have a line that that means you have a great offensive line, you have a great scheme. That's making sure the quarterback is protected. That means you have a veteran quarterback who's making line calls and adjustments to be sure, you know, free guys are getting picked up and he's not getting. I just think that is a high compliment to just the soundness of where their offense is. That there is only there is only one sack. And that in, in a lot of ways, that's going to keep you in a lot of games, um, you know, moving, uh, moving forward. So I, I thought that was just a really, a really interesting window into the uh, into the Ducks. Uh, totally agree. And if the Ducks defense is a difference maker in the big picture as you start evaluating them against other teams, it might well be tested um, Saturday night by Washington, mm-hmm. who very quietly brings in the nation's leading passer and Michael Penix mm-hmm. Jr. and some dangerous receivers and you know a team that's had a really good season also under a first-year coach in, in Kalen DeBoer. They would love nothing better than to spoil the season. Historically, uh, Washington has looked down its nose at Oregon, you know, sort of perceiving itself to be of a, a higher level bastion of academia than, than the Ducks. And then in recent years, with Oregon's success and the Nike money from Phil Knight and the flashy uniforms and the trips to the playoff, although Washington has one trip to the playoff, you know, all of those, all of those things have sort of tilted the more recent scales of attention. But that rivalry is still intense and bitter, and dates back, uh, dates back to Washington aligning against Oregon to keep them out of the Rose Bowl in the '40s. You know, in a vote, you know, they they aligned and allegedly lobbied Montana to vote with them, uh, so that. Uh, so that California would go to the Rose Bowl rather than Oregon. And so that was for the 48 season, 49. So there, the old timers are still bugged by that. There's the great Kenny Wheaton uh, pick six that they just simply called the pick that sort of turned the fortunes of Oregon football in the 90s when Washington was a powerhouse and they were going, going in to win an Austin Stadium. They still played on the video board, uh, you know, before, before the game there. So this is a deep-seated rivalry that's important to both. And if Washington could come in and turn that thing upside down, uh, there would be plenty of delight in Seattle over that turn of events for sure. Yeah, I, a lot of respect for what Kalen DeBoer has done, giving an adrenaline shot to that Huskies program. It's just good to have Washington back vibrant. I think it's really important for the future of that league, for Washington to really be a tentpole. They can't afford to uh, to lag. 
I'm really excited, Reese, to see uh, Oregon defensive back Christian Gonzalez, who some NFL people think may be first, second defensive back off the board. Uh, Keely Ringo sure played better than my anonymous coaches thought he would uh, against Tennessee the other night. So he's probably going to be the uh, he's probably going to be the first one off the board. But Christian Gonzalez is a Colorado transfer. He's from the Colony in Texas. He's 6'2", 201. We, we saw him, on, you know, uh, up close on the field in Eugene. He's a big, long, lanky kid who looks like they look like on Sundays. So, um, and, and we know Penix is going to obviously be throwing the ball. Kalen DeBoer's offenses always do. So, it'd be a lot of fun to see if he can be he can be the menace that, uh, you know, that he's been billed as, and, and, and he's played really well for the Ducks this year. So, I'm really excited to, uh, to see that little nuance of that matchup this weekend. Yeah, it transfer quarterbacks again, both of whom have flourished in their new settings coming basically across the country. Bo, as has been documented, Bo Nix coming from Auburn, Michael Penix Jr. after enduring just a slew of injuries during his time at Indiana. Back with Kalen DeBoer, who at one time was the offensive coordinator at Indiana, though I think people sometimes forget the big season that Penix had, I think was in the COVID year, DeBoer was already gone, but he had started his, uh, started his career under him, and, and that reunion has paid great dividends there. LSU was a topic, too, in the college football playoff rankings last night, going to number seven, potential two-loss SEC champion. Could they get in if they were to keep winning and and knock off Georgia? I would really be worried about LSU noon game in Fayetteville coming off that euphoric victory against Alabama if I hadn't watched Arkansas and Liberty. Um, now, Hugh Freeze has a, has a good team and has done a marvelous job with Liberty. But Arkansas, I mean, they tried to rally late, but they, they looked out of sorts and ungood, as I like to say, against the Flames on Saturday. And because of that, I mean, it's, you know, Lou Holtz taught me years ago, it's a different team every week. You never get the same team. But if you get anything approximating the same teams that we saw last week, then uh, then it's hard to fathom LSU going in there and and losing to what I saw from Arkansas on Saturday. That was that was a little shocking uh, to me. It wasn't shocking to Herb Street. Took him as a super dog, which was a great call uh, for Liberty. But you know, Arkansas they didn't just lose. They were they were down big. Now they almost pulled it out and got the thing in overtime, but. Man, they were down big and sort of getting dominated for for a lot of the game. As our our listeners will know, my knack for uh, leaving very important moments. Uh, remember, we were in Boone, where the game ended with probably the best single ending of a college football game this year, most dramatic anyway. Um, LSU Alabama is probably going to take the best ending, but uh, there was obviously the hail mary. I was long out of App State by the time the hail mary went because I went to watch Liberty play at Wake Forest, and. If you had asked me my 10 impressions of Liberty from that game, and I was impressed. Uh, we talked about it on the podcast. They had a, a dynamic quarterback who transferred from Tennessee. They had some great skill. They had some, you know, some. I would not, none of my 10 observations would have been, they're going to maul you up front. Uh, you know, Wake Forest did at times struggle to block them. So I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be naive to that. And they did have enough of a rush against that slow mesh to really like cut off the run game. And they forced Wake Forest to throw. But I didn't walk out of that stadium thinking that's someone who's going to manhandle an SEC team, right? I thought they, they had good personnel. I was impressed. Um, you know, the game essentially came down to a two-point conversion that, that Liberty didn't convert. So I was, I was pretty surprised. But, uh, you know, credit Josh Aldridge, the defensive coordinator at Liberty. He's in his first year there as the, as the D.C. and play caller. They've they've put together something special on that on that side of the ball. Like, I don't care which SEC team it is. If you go on the road, you're an independent like Liberty, and you can just ragdoll an, an SEC team on their turf. That's that that's that's pretty impressive. Um, you know, I do think it will be a really interesting test for LSU in terms of like handling success, right? Mm-hmm. Because. They, you know, they lost early and everybody got their spine straight. They've gotten Kayshawn Booty sort of back seemingly, seemingly right. Now, he's not the explosive, productive, surefire first-round pick he was, but he is, again, like a, a high-functioning part of that offense. Jaden Daniels' early struggles 
have really fed into some significant development. His footwork's a lot cleaner. His decision making's a lot better. Um, you know, he he his running ability is is still dynamic, but there's a a diversity to his game now in terms of in terms of the throw and multiple reads that that wasn't there early. So there have been a lot of things that have pushed forward against LSU. Young talent like Harold Perkins, the linebacker, I thought he flashed on my TV screen no, on on, no on Saturday night. Terrific. I mean, my gosh, yeah. what a difference maker he was. You know right in that lexicon of LSU defensive creatures that we've become accustomed to over the years. So um, LSU clearly has the talent. It's a hard place to play an 11 a.m. kick. Like, don't be surprised if that game seven to three at the end of the first, you know, at, at the end of the, at going into halftime, something like that. Pittman's going to have them charged up that fan base that, you know, this is a game that's circled for them every, every mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. And you're at the point where it's like, you can salvage the season. If you're Arkansas if you if you win this game, because all of a sudden, if if you don't, you're you're scrambling to make a bowl because you've got Ole Miss at home next, which you're going to be an underdog in, and then you go to Missouri the Friday of Thanksgiving weekend, and both those teams could be five and six in a uh, you know in a dogfight for a uh, for a bowl game. It uh, that is, that is the one thing. I mean, it looks like that would be an easy pick, but. Pittman is going to challenge them because of what happened against Liberty. This is sort of a, another one of those, maybe not last stand games for Arkansas, but it's really their last chance to make a huge impression on the season. Playing Ole Miss, they could have a could have another chance because Ole Miss is certainly rooting for Arkansas to beat LSU. Because while LSU, you know, beat the doors off of of Ole Miss. Uh, the Rebels, if they beat Alabama, could in theory still get back on top and have a game edge on LSU if um, you know if Arkansas could pull the upset and Ole Miss can beat Alabama on Saturday. So you know there's still there's some stuff to play for in Arkansas. While it won't factor in who it won't factor in actually winning the division itself, Arkansas could salvage the season by having a huge say. And who does? Maybe you know maybe from Sam Pittman's point of view. Maybe you take it away from LSU for a moment and give it to Ole Miss and then take it away from Ole Miss and give it right back to LSU the, the following week, you know? Uh, that would be, uh, that would be uh, you know, they have, they have brought the, as his old saying from earlier this year, they have brought the tea and not the liquor. If they bring the liquor the next two weeks, they can really <laughs> shake up the SEC West. Really shake it up, not stirred, shaken. Yeah, they uh, they they brought weak, watery green tea on a Saturday, but you know I, I shouldn't say that because that takes away from liberty, and I and I really shouldn't. Let me ask you this: game like that, the way Hugh Freeze had them ready, the the way he has consistently won there, and the fact you know that he's had success in the SEC, and I know that there were issues, and and you know the SEC, you know wanted to as a conference sort of wanted to make him wait a little bit because of the things that had gone on at Ole Miss under his watch there as it pertains to rules violations and so forth or alleged rules violations. What does a game like that last Saturday do for his candidacy for uh bigger jobs? I I think most of us believe that Lane Kiffin is the number one target for Auburn unless you have other information about that. But Hugh Freeze certainly on the list. What is what does that do for him in your judgment from what you've been able to ascertain uh, from from potential suitors? And look, Liberty fans, if you're listening, I know he signed a contract extension. Yeah, and we know how that works too. So, what does it do for him as a potential candidate? I I don't know if I would say Lane is like the runaway favorite. I would think there are three sort of you know. Three, it, there's a grouping of three that I think the job will, will will emerge from. And I think that those three are Rule, Kiffin, and Freeze. Drastically different candidates, by the way, in so many different ways. They're different styles, different personalities, um, <laughs> just a lot of different in that uh, in that group. So, um, but I think for Freeze, it, you know, it's a reminder that He's had a lot of success in big games. He doesn't flinch on the big stage. He is as good of a play caller as there is in the country. Now, the baggage is the baggage. You know, there's there's no getting around that. Um, I think the NCA portion of that baggage is probably less because essentially 
NCAA rules enforcement slash IARP, which is really recent in this, they just seem to be so toothless. And really mm-hmm. more importantly, like our friend uh, Doug Gerard, the Kansas chancellor, presidents and chancellors don't care if if coaches break rules anymore. I mean, Kansas was in the thicket of an NCAA investigation and they gave Bill Self a lifetime contract. And I use that as a way to say, you know, the, the NCA baggage used to carry a lot more weight than it once did. So um, and the, the the personal the personal failings thing, which you know I hesitate to bring up, but that would seem to be old news by now too. And he's he's sort of seemed to have turned that around and and, and healed from that, right? You know, when it comes to personal stuff, I don't tend to make judgments one way or another. Like, right. is, no, it, no, it I, I agree. We, I'm talking. I'm talking about yeah. as it as it pertains to him. Yes, being hired. That's all I mean. Yes, I, no. I don't I, mean in that. terms of yeah. pertaining to being hired, yes. Yeah. He uh, and again, I, I don't. I'm not. I'm not a pearl clutcher. I'm not in personal judgments. The worst part of that was he did it on a school phone. Yeah, like that was right. just stupid. Like that, just you know, do what you want to do. I'm not going to judge you, but like that, the the fact that you would expose your risk yourself risk wise to that on your school phone, that always just baffled. That always boggled my mind a little bit. But mm-hmm. yeah, he's he has gone to Liberty. You know, been there a bunch of years. You know, and performed the way you would think he would perform. Perform mm-hmm. the way he did at Arkansas State. Perform the way he did at uh, Ole Miss. It's dynamic offenses. It's talented players. Um, you know, Liberty's not the easiest place to recruit to, and he's sort of figured out ways to uh, get really talented players. Their skill guys were great that day against Wake. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Clawson uh, told me after the game that he said to his team that week, like, we may not see better skill guys on the outside all all season, or maybe you know, maybe UNC, may, like they're in the conversation with the top of the ACC with that. So he was always figured out a way to do it, and uh, yeah, it 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 would be. You know, it's going to be fascinating theater at Auburn, no matter what. Auburn is always fascinating theater. Um, Kiffin would be unbelievable. I, I made a joke in the column the other day that the, the servers where our friends at AL.com would actually, they'd have to like reinforce them for all the content Lane would give them, uh, <laughs> needling Saban and being his uh, being his foil. And I say that endearingly. Those guys do a great job covering that, you know, both ends of that rivalry. And uh, that would be, you know, I mean, I, I like to joke, I call it the Feinbaum principle, that no matter what happens, it creates great content for Paul Feinbaum, right? Mm-hmm. And Lane Kiffin, you know, at Auburn with Nick Saban would be unbelievable. I mean, Freeze's return would certainly be, you know, pretty dynamic. If, if Matt Rule went there, um, you know, a complete outsider with no ties to the Deep South comes in and, you know, tries to tries to do what he did at Temple and Baylor and, you know, bring the thing back and, and and build it up to where, you know, to where it's competitive in the league again, like he did so well at those other places. So um, he'd obviously be an energy bolt and a complete, you know, he grew up in, uh, you know, Manhattan, basically Roosevelt Island. So it's, uh, you know, in, in, and then went to state college high school, I believe. So it just, a, it would be all those, all those candidates would be fascinating. There's plenty of other fascinating ones too. But it would certainly, uh, yeah. There's never, uh, there's never lack of fodder down there in your home state, Alabama, Reese. There's not. You know, you say you have that Matt Rule has no ties to the South. I would say that there is one, one tie that he does have. He he developed an affinity for uh, the late coach Pat Dye's weekly radio segment on the sports talk radio station in Birmingham, and he would often listen. Uh, to Pat die when he was going in because, because you, you know, you, you knew Pat, I know. And he got to a point, not that he ever really cared that much what people thought about what he said, but he got to a point later on where he just, I mean, he'd just go and Matt would, and Matt would pick that up somehow on satellite radio and he would listen to that from time to time. So he wouldn't be totally, really? uh, I yeah, never was, heard that. That's yeah. There was a, pretty. there was, he had a, uh, he had a sports information director at Baylor who was from the state of Alabama, I think maybe grew up a Taylor Auburn Bryan, fan. Right? Yeah, Taylor. Yeah. And I think he went to Troy, but maybe grew up an Auburn fan. And somehow they've made made that connection. And, and Matt Matt got a got a kick out of that for a period of time during his during his Baylor career. So that That's, might be the lone tie. And I would I would advise, should that come to be, that John Cohen hires Matt Rule to be the head coach at Auburn. If I were Rule, one of the first things I would talk about would be that. You know, <laughs> when I when I step to the podium. Sure. Let me throw let me throw something at you. Yeah. There was a bolt of energy that Cadillac Williams brought to Auburn. 
he is very new in his coaching career overall, let alone being a head coach. But let's say last Saturday of the regular season before championship Saturday, that they somehow, some way, go into Bryant-Denny Stadium and beat Alabama with Cadillac Williams as a head coach. Then what? Um, you go hire one of the three guys that I just talked about. Uh, did you watch the end of Mississippi State Auburn? I did. Yep, I did. What did you think of the timeout usage to ice the kickers? Uh, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not a big fan of that. You know, have I ever told you my other theory on that? Not that it would have applied necessarily at the end of the game. I hate that. So I think that if the defense uses a timeout to ice the kicker, that's fine. But the penalty is that if the kicker makes the kick, it's worth four points. If you use two, it's worth five points. And if you use all three to ice the kicker, then um, then maybe you're just declared the automatic winner if the kicker makes the kick. <laughs> so, you know, regardless of what it makes the score, even if it was just supposed to tie it. So I, I don't... I don't always, I don't always love that. I just but. thought they had like thirty something seconds left, right? And yeah. like we, you know, look at what Tennessee did again. Auburn's office isn't exactly Tennessee's offense this year, yeah. so I want to be very yeah. clear about that. But you, with thirty seconds, and all you need to do is get into field goal range. Like I don't know, it's yeah, worth running a couple, right, worth running a couple plays, run like a little, you know, sweep to Tank Bigsby and see if he breaks one. And if he I don't know, loose. yeah, yeah. Like no, I just, I, just I, I, I don't know. I was just. uh and again, there was an energy bolt there. He was in the moment. There was, uh, you know, Brian Harson, who's who's a very good coach, is not exactly an energy bolt. Mm-hmm. That's just not it. So you could tell the team fed off it. I give him a lot of credit for 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 the you know the heart they showed in the in the comeback. But I did get a little like game management squeamish there at the end. I'm probably nitpicking, yeah. but I was just yeah. Uh, I'm watching. I'm like, oh, and the announcers, you know, to fair. I think it was Tom Hart and uh, Jordan Rogers and uh, yeah. Cole Kubler who do a great job. Mm-hmm. On our uh, SEC Saturday night, I think they were they were all over it. I was just like, mm, I don't know if I'd do that here. Yeah, it, you know, it's uh, he, after the comeback they had, and you know, he's he's spinning the wheel of fortune. I think at this point, you know, and the yeah, other thing too, sure. he he he. I don't believe there's a scenario under which he gets the job. Not because he's not a good coach. He just hasn't been coaching that long. Yeah. And, that, you yeah. know, I mean, Simple. just, you know, it's maybe like Dion, like yeah. all the, you know, the, the cries for Dion and just like he's been a coach for three years. Yeah, but but the, that's true. But at least Dion's been the head coach, you yes. know, for that period of time. I, I think that's a little bit different now, five years down the road. I mean, because Cadillac's profile just got elevated, maybe maybe three years down the road. Yeah. So, you know, what does this mean for his career, whether it's at Auburn or somewhere else, uh, depending on how they finish the rest of the way. But there, uh, you mark my words, if they do that, if they win in Tuscaloosa, John Cohen will be under immense pressure, not from the proverbial powers that be at Auburn, but from the fans. They're going to want him because he is a he is a beloved dude and rightfully so oh, yeah. in, in Auburn history. So yeah. no. let me ask you this about that game because this is in, in the back of my mind. The the Mississippi State like messed up squib kick. You ever seen anything like that? No, they, I have that. Like I, I like like I there was no way that was intentional. Even Mike Mike Leach's evilest genius yeah. could not have could not have thought. I was like I was on the on the flight home and I was like aghast. I was like what? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that, no, that was uh, that was just a turn of serendipity. That was not planned at all. Yeah, so, no, it was anyway, it was pretty hilarious. Yeah. That that game was big. And again, that was obviously, wild. LS, yeah. Obviously, LSU Alabama was great. One of the games of the season. It was awesome. The drama was intense, but it was not nearly as bananas as the end of Auburn <laughs> Mississippi State, which was just bananas. Yeah, it, I mean, it was perfect for that game to play out that way. First of all, because. Uh, you, you got Leach. I mean, the two head coaches were Mike Leach and Cadillac Williams making his debut. You had the John Cohen thing. One AD left for the other school and didn't go to the game and watch, you know, watch from the new condo or whatever. You had you had chairs being folded up, fish sandwiches being discussed. I mean, and you know, squib kicks being recovered. You know, just it was uh, it was bananas for sure. And we'll have more of that coming up, I'm sure, this week. Um, I don't know if we. Hopefully we've gleaned some insight here so that it can help us on our picks on the Friday podcast because all of us were under 500 again last week, like just by game. But, yeah, we're burning it up. I always feel good. Like I was like, oh, I picked Notre Dame. 
like, and then it's like, eh, sad trombones. I picked Tennessee. I picked a lot of others that didn't work. So yeah. Womp, womp, womp. yeah, that's the way, that's the way it goes. What's, uh, before we go here, what's the best piece of news you've broken this week? Biggest, uh, biggest and best piece of news. I haven't broken it. I mean, Daquan Finn played for Toledo last night. I broke that. Um, I've been a little under the weather, so I probably haven't been, uh, I probably haven't been, been, been grinding anything, uh, grinding anything out like I normally have. Well, one thing I've learned from working with you this year, if, um, if there's, if there's news to be broken, you're going to do it. So, I mean, it's, if, if anything of note has happened, the authority is going to have it every time you hope you hope you know there's certainly no guarantees in the in the news breaking business but there's been a little bit i think a little bit of a quiet uh a quiet week uh jeff scott got Mm -hmm. fired on sunday yeah Um, i did not break that story be clear about that this i think the school did um but uh yeah we we are about to enter a pretty busy time and uh i feel like on our sunday podcast there's going to be uh there's gonna be a few, uh, a few, a few more openings to discuss. We're, yeah, we're gonna need to, we're, we're gonna need to get you 100 percent and healthy, um, all that too. You know, they they sent me the the producers Taylor and Sarah sent me the rundown. Um, you know, we on Monday I think we might have discussed the Scott Frost T-shirt, but I'm not sure that we uh, quite gave the love to Minnesota that we should have from last week for coming back and winning the $5 bits of broken chair trophy, which is my favorite unofficial trophy in all of college football. So yeah. hats off Here, to the go. Here's some, keep, here's some keep good ruin the boat. news. I was told that uh, in the Fleck household in uh, suburban Minneapolis, all three Christmas trees have already been erected. So there really? you go. Yeah, and, PJ's and big decorated. Christmas guy. Yeah, yeah. Good King Wenzel class. Uh, I'm going to bungle the song. That's that's his go-to Christmas jam. So, um, yeah, they're uh, they are they are already uh, counting the days of Christmas down there in uh, in in old Minnesota. So, well, you got a you got a Christmas cup in your coffee, and you were somewhat or for your coffee, and you were somewhat chagrined by this. I did. I just reason. thought it was a little early. So my birthday's in mid-November, and I feel like that's like the. That's the that's the breakoff point. I don't want anything. I don't. I don't want anything. Cra- I, I'm not naive enough to think it's going to last till Thanksgiving, right? But I just feel like now the weather has kind of turned here a little bit. It was like 70 on Monday, and it's kind of cold now. I just I'm just not ready for a green cup cup of coffee at Dunkin' Donuts yet. Like the the actual cup being green. I just I but, felt, just felt the pinch early. That's all. Do you, you feel? Are you ready for the holiday season, Reese? Are you? Oh you yeah, I'm. I, around the I'm not. I'm not Pollock esque. And uh, oh, so in it's Pollock of- like a big elf. Oh yeah, Pollock loves Christmas music. He would like to play it, as, you know, in mid-October. Um, he doesn't like Thanksgiving because of the food component of it, which is, you know, he doesn't like to, you know, a holiday that is centered around gorging yourself. So he's not into that. So he wants to just skip ahead to Christmas. Um, I love Thanksgiving too, though. But I'm, I'm okay if you play a little Christmas music leading up to Thanksgiving. I'm okay with that. All right. I'm all right with the cut off. What? When do you feel good about it? About, uh, I would say probably um, after Halloween, but only it's not because I get annoyed by it. I just don't want, I don't want to be tired of it by the time you're leading up to it. And, you know, the, the, the few days before Christmas. So just, you know, a little patience. A little yeah. patience can I feel help. Like every holiday should have their box. Like Halloween gets its box, Thanksgiving gets its box, Christmas gets its box, and everybody's good. But you, you just, you just slipped in though. Your birthday's coming up. When is your birthday? Oh, it's uh, November 16th. Oh, November 16th. So a week. So we're going to do a podcast on your birthday. I think we may do. Would a you, podcast would on. you, would you like Taylor and Sarah to sing to you? Not particularly. I'm not a big, I'm not one of these, like my birthday is like a four day celebration guys, but you may find that hard to believe. So <laughs> if you just said happy birthday to me, I'd say thanks. That'd be nice. Okay. All right. Put it's that all- on our calendar to remind us to all say happy birthday to Pete. Yeah. If, if, if I could get a birthday present and be able to breathe out of my sinuses, I'd be a pretty happy guy. So. <laughs> so so what you need is a new neti pot? Oh, the neti pot's been going, man. The neti pot's been going. That's I've, uh, I've, I'm a I've big never neti done, pot guy. I've never done that. I'm 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 afraid to and look, I have some of those issues a little more frequently than I would like. 
but I'm afraid that somehow the brain eating amoeba is going to go up my sinuses and get there through, through the neti pot. That, that my seems wife like makes me together. use like distilled, like a, like a bottle of water. We have distilled water for Teddy's formula. Yeah. So I'm actually don't use like tap water for yeah, it. No, you can't, you're not yeah. supposed to, right? No, you're but, not supposed to, but that seems I, completely I have in the unpleasant. past. I've gotten, yeah, gotten yelled at, but no, yeah. You, if you warm up the water a little bit and put a little salt in and just, shoots right through the sinuses it's it's bliss seems is it really it seems unpleasant it's the the act you get very used to it it's it's awkward right because you're like i'm putting water up a nostril it's coming out another it's just unnatural Mm -hmm. um but you get used to it but like there is very linear like you know you can take all these medicines and all these you know you know cough drops and all that stuff but like there's just few like oh this is what it's doing it is. I'm actually watching it clear my sinuses. So, and there's there's something satisfying about I'll that. Probably like, find some find find a little satisfaction in that, and hopefully we can find some satisfaction with the picks on the Friday podcast. Partner, I'm glad you're feeling better. Uh, get you 100% by the time we go to Austin this weekend, and certainly by the time uh, we unveil the Friday podcast full of picks with the great Bill Connolly, who will join us then. Thanks for listening to this ESPN College Game Day podcast. We ask you to download this wherever it is that you like to get your podcast.